Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Boy, there is so much going on right now. Mitch McConnell, oh, it's all over, right? It's dead. The whole Mueller report, it exonerated the president. And, uh, you know, there's a simple reality here. And that simple reality is that Michael Cohen went to prison because Donald Trump ordered him to pay off women that he had had affairs with, and Michael Cohen did it. He went to prison for that. It's a campaign finance violation. He also went to prison because Donald Trump ordered him to lie about the Trump Tower Moscow deal throughout the campaign, and then to lie to Congress about it after the campaign, after Trump became president. And that's why Michael Cohen went to prison also. And what I don't get is why Donald Trump is not sharing a jail cell with this guy. He went to prison for three years for two crimes that Donald Trump told him to commit. What am I missing here? Also, cover-up General Bill Barr has said that he redacted information in the Mueller report, and this is a quote from Barr, that would unduly infringe on the personal privacy and reputational interests of peripheral third parties. In other words, he redacted information. I've been reading the Mueller report every day. When we're all done, we're going to put it together into one giant kind of book on tape thing. And we're even thinking about rolling out, you know, one week versions of it, you know, for as podcasts and as videos. But in any case, I've been reading this thing and I keep coming across all this redacted stuff. And the reason much of it was redacted was because there are people who are not indicted Basically, all the names that are in there are people who were either indicted or who are innocent and being told that, and were being told that they were innocent. But people who were not indicted, in order to preserve their, quote, reputational interest and personal privacy, Bill Barr's words, anything that involves them is redacted. Well, Barr's whole thing is that you can't indict a sitting president. So Trump is one of the people who didn't get indicted. Therefore, he's a peripheral third party. He's not a subject or object of the investigation. He's a peripheral third party. 
And Barr says he's going to redact stuff from the Mueller report in order to, quote, protect the personal privacy and reputational interests of peripheral third parties. That's Donald Trump. He also made it clear that Trump was not the subject of the investigation. And this may be why Trump and Barr are fighting so hard to prevent this unredacted material from getting to the House of Representatives. Because the third party that Barr is trying to protect is Donald Trump. And maybe even the rest of the Trump crime family, including Don Jr. and Jared. Although Don Jr. is mentioned at least once that I've seen so far in the report. But Jared, I mean, I want to know who that, what are they hiding? What is Trump hiding in his tax returns? Is he hiding the fact that he, he's not a billionaire and never was? He's just a grifter? That we've got a guy in the White House who claimed to be a billionaire and he's just a grifter? That he's underwater, he, he has more debt than he has assets. Is that what he's trying to hide? Is he trying to hide crimes that he committed, like the tax frauds that the New York Times has exposed that allowed him to take over $400 million from his father's estate, largely without paying taxes on it? tax crimes that he involved his siblings in so that his sister, who was a federal judge, had to resign her federal judgeship to avoid being investigated? Is that what Trump is trying to hide with his tax returns? What do you think he's trying to hide with his tax returns? Are, is he trying to hide other crimes? I mean, there's a whole spectrum of them here that he may well be guilty of. Barr has been playing slick with words throughout this whole process to protect Trump. And I think he's still doing it. I, you know, I think that this is what's absolutely going on. So why won't the media report or even speculate? I mean, I, last night on one of the show, I think it was Rachel Maddow's show, her and one of her guests just kind of walked up right up to the edge of it, of speculating that Barr was redacting things to protect Trump, but they never said it. It seems to me that this is fairly obvious. So that's, you know, number one that I wanted to talk with you about today. I want to raise this question that really I think Joe Biden has raised in the way that he's been talking about the Republican Party. Basically what he's been saying is that the problem in the United States, the problem with our governance, our government, the, the, the problem of Trump and all this kind of stuff, that problem is just one guy, Donald Trump. And the rest of the Republican Party is just fine. This is from a piece by Shane Goldmacher in, today, in Friday's New York Times. Biden thinks Trump is the problem, not Republicans. Other Democrats disagree. Limited to four years, Biden pleaded with a ballroom crowd of 600 in the eastern city of Dubuque. History will treat this administration's time as an aberration. He added, this is not the Republican Party. My Republican friends, he talked about his relationship with my Republican friends in the House and Senate. Now, there are other Democrats... And in the article, they quote Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but I would say it's probably much deeper than that among the Democratic field, who say, no, Donald Trump is not the problem. Donald Trump is the symptom of the problem. The problem is that the Republican Party has been taken over by a group of libertarian billionaires who don't believe in the government. They don't believe in the American way. They want a government that doesn't have public schools, that doesn't have the commons, that basically just is the military, the judiciary, and the police, and that's it. And the question that is asked in this New York Times piece is, do Democrats want a bipartisan dealmaker promising a return to normalcy, which is basically Biden's pitch? And, you know, I think a few other people, probably Amy Klobuchar and Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, some of these guys, perhaps Pete Buttigieg, we know so little about his actual policies. But basically, they have all campaigned on, I can work across the aisle, I can work with Democrats. 
Do we want a bipartisan dealmaker or do we want a partisan warrior who's going to say no? We need transformational change in America, which, by the way, is what Republicans have been saying since 1988 or since 1980. That was Reagan's pitch. We're going to change America. We're going to undo the New Deal. The New Deal went way too far and Social Security needs to be privatized and Medicare needs to be cut in half. And we need to drill holes in Medicare. We need to create a 20% exclusion to Medicare so that private health insurance companies can come in and supplement Medicare. We need to create a private Medicare system, Medicare Advantage. I mean, these were all things that Reagan came up with, you know, as ways to destroy the New Deal. He was a transformational president. Not in a way I like or want, but he was a genuinely transformational president, and the United States has not changed. We are still in this Reaganism era. So do we want a transformational president who's going to set their sights on destroying Reaganism and taking us back to FDR Americanism? Or do we want a guy who is going to, like our last two Democratic presidents, basically try to negotiate deals with Republicans and compromise? Bernie Sanders says, make no mistake about it, this struggle is not just about defeating Donald Trump. This struggle is about taking on the incredibly powerful institutions that control the economic and political life of this country. But, as the New York Times points out, in the Obama White House, Biden was known as the McConnell whisperer for his skills in striking agreements with the often recalcitrant Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell. Mr. Biden spent decades cutting deals in the Senate. Jimmy Stumpf, who is a... uh, Uh, was at a Biden rally, says, I just want to see decency again. Yet many on the left believe that Biden's nostalgia for a bygone era of comedy, compromise, and civility while appealing is misplaced or even naive. Brian Fallon, former top spokesperson for Hillary Clinton, and Chuck Schumer said, Joe Biden knows better. But because Biden was the wingman for Barack Obama, who in his first year of his presidency had Mitchell McConnell say his number one objective was that Barack Obama wasn't reelected, he definitely should know better. So which which kind of Democrat do we want? You know, Elizabeth Warren, she said the final results may have divided us. She's talking about the 2016 election. But our entire electorate embraced deep fundamental reform of our economic system and our political system. This is not what the moderates on the Democratic side are are advocating. So what are we? And this whole electability thing, and there's been some great writing about how electability really means male. And I think Hillary Clinton demonstrated, certainly at the congressional level, women all over this country have demonstrated that women can get elected just as easily and do just as good a job as men. And frankly, I'd say in many cases, a better job. And I think Hillary Clinton demonstrated that a woman can be elected president of the United States. She got three million more votes than Donald Trump did. And if it wasn't for election rigging by voter suppression in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and maybe a few other things, she would be in the White House right now. Egberto Willies, writing over at Daily Kos, Democrats must nominate a populist if they're to win the White House in Congress. This is the question. Can a populist beat Donald Trump? Donald Trump is a populist. He's a right-wing populist. Can a left-wing populist beat a right-wing populist? Or do you need a left-wing, middle-of-the-road compromise guy to be, you know, or, or let's say business-as-usual guy, a return to normalcy? 
which, by the way, was the campaign slogan of Warren Harding in 1920, a return to normalcy. And what he meant by that was dropping the top income tax rate, which had gone up to 95%. And sure enough, he did. He dropped it down to 25% in 1921. But in any case, the example that Egberto Willis points out is the 7th District Congressional race in Texas, where in 2018, it is more likely an increasingly progressive vote provided the winning margin in these elections. This reality was apparent in the Texas Congressional District 7, where the DCCC interjected themselves in our local election with a right-wing style attack on Laura Mosier, who ultimately lost to Lizzie Pinnell Fletcher. All the progressive groups coalesced around Fletcher, block walking, knocking on doors, phone banking, because they kept their eyes on the ball. So, you know, apparently Mosier was a little more progressive, but the DCCC took her out. When American pollsters give Americans choices of policies, they reveal themselves as progressives. But the powers that be hoodwink them into believing the things that they want are unattainable. Worse, their leaders tell them that their wants would cost jobs or hurt the economy. In other words, fear is responsible for most Americans sticking to the mythical center. And now here we've got Nancy Pelosi. Don't get dragged, you know, this is essentially what she's saying, Glenn Thrush writing about this in the New York Times on Friday. Don't get dragged into a protractive impeachment bid. Don't risk alienating moderate voters who flocked to the party in 2018 by drifting too far to the left. Nancy Pelosi said, own the center left, own the mainstream. Well, yeah, the mainstream is, quote, center left. But what, is, what does center mean? I mean, increasingly it's looking to me like center means just fine to go along with big corporations and take money from billionaires. And I don't think most Americans are there. I, I'm not, I don't understand, you know, I, I, I hear these people, particularly on MSNBC and CNN, I hear these people talking about, well, we need to go to the center. What the hell are they talking about? I mean, literally, what do they mean? What specific policy is the center? Well, okay, here's an example. Medicare for all is the far left. Medicare X is the center. What does Medicare X do? Or this, this other, I mean, there's two different versions of, of Medicare as a public option, basically. And both of them would keep in place the 20% hole in Medicare that brings in private health insurance companies and makes a, a hell of a lot of profit for those private health insurance companies. Uh, all of them keep in place Medicare Advantage, which is privatization of Medicare, which is now one-third privatized. One-third of Americans who are on Medicare are taking Medicare Advantage, which is not actually Medicare. It's a private corporate scheme that is heavily subsidized with our tax dollars and our Medicare dollars. But the sales pitch for it is, you know, it'll be a lot easier to sell to Americans that they won't have to give up their health insurance policy. You know, there's probably a lot of truth to that. So is that an example of a compromise that's a good compromise? If you leave the health insurance companies in place, if you allow them to continue their lobbying, if you allow them to continue their bad behavior? Maybe. Maybe. But I'm personally of the opinion that it's going to take a real progressive populist to beat a conservative populist. I think this is why you had so many people who voted for Donald Trump and said that their second choice was Bernie Sanders. This is a thing, right? I mean, this is big. 
If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold you're listening to Tom Hartman. Mike watching Free Speech TV in Missouri Valley, Iowa. Hey, right in the center of the whole uh, the whole uh, uh, primary madness. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Tom. First time caller. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, has anybody ever thought that maybe Putin was maybe baiting us into some of these conflicts to string us out? Why corporate America takes over? Why don't they just change our name to the United States of Corporate America, because that's what we're turning into. Back in 2014, I wrote a book, I published a book called Rebooting the American Dream, and there's a chapter in it called Make Congressmen Wear NASCAR Patches. Yeah. You know, yeah. I this is, this to, is not new. I think we need to start crying the old saying, uh, give us freedom or give us death, because <laughs> yeah. we don't have much option anymore. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Henry's uh, ironic saying, given that he was the largest slaveholder in Virginia, give me liberty or give me death. I, you know, the question, though, Mike, is an interesting one. If Vladimir Putin, Trump thinks it's all about Trump. And he thinks right. that Putin's being nice to him because he's such a great guy and that he's just... I think he's scared of Putin. I, well, you know, that's fairly obvious. But I think that the thing that Trump doesn't realize is that Putin is playing a long game. I mean, you know, Russia was an oh, empire yeah. for a thousand years. You know, I mean, Putin is playing a long game. He's doing what he thinks is the very best thing for his country. The very best thing for his country is to replace the United States as a major economic and military power in the world, at least in right. his mind. Uh, you know, I could debate that with him, but I, you know, he thinks that that's the case, I believe. And so if he can bait Donald Trump into a war with Iran, and if he can assure Trump that, oh, yeah, you want to have a war with Iran, don't worry, I won't get involved. And then we get into a war with Iran and he comes in and steps on our feet, that could really, really damage the United States. It could damage us militarily. It could damage us financially. It could damage us politically. It, you know, I don't think Putin gives a rat's ass about Donald Trump or his fate or future. But I think that Donald Trump thinks that when he leaves the White House, he's going he's gonna to have an additional $250 million a year in cash flow from Trump Tower Moscow. Right, right. I also noticed that on cable TV, there's a channel called RTTV, which yeah. is actually Russian television. Yeah, I know. And they kind of play, they play both sides of the parties trying to divide and conquer. Well, I haven't watched RT for a few years, but I was on RT right. for a number of years. I did a, a TV yeah, show in the yeah, evening. And they, they, they and, you know, they're kind of equally uh, bad against the Democrats and the Republicans. Well, you know, their, their, their motto was question more, but, you know, I, you know I, I don't think most Americans watch RT, frankly, but that is not the issue. The issue, in my opinion, is whether Donald Trump is playing 
the witting or unwitting dupe of a foreign power, in this case Russia, although I think that he's also playing a witting and unwitting dupe of other foreign powers, particularly Saudi Arabia and to some extent Israel, but I, but I think you need to separate Israel from Netanyahu in order to have that conversation because, you know, it's Israel and Netanyahu are different things in many, many regards. I mean, Netanyahu didn't even get a majority in the last election. So he just put together a coalition. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. It's an interesting question. Tom Harbin here with you. This is pretty alarming. Churchandstate.org.uk. Uh, uh, this is a British website. Is reprint. Well, actually, it's a daily. It was originally a Daily Kos post. Is reprinting a piece titled uh, "Trump's Attorney General Wants God's Moral Order Enforced by the Government." This is alarming. This is William Barr. In a 1995 essay, Barr expressed the extremist Christian view that American government should not be secular. Secularism is an abomination in Barr's theocratic mind, despite the law of the land. Furthermore, Barr contends America's government is supposed to be imposing a transcendent moral order with objective standards of right and wrong that flows from God's eternal law. This is amazing. The real danger to the nation is Barr's belief that the government's primary function should be defending and enforcing his God's moral edicts while ardently opposing any legislative branch effort to make secular laws according to the secular constitution. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, just to show that I don't know everything, I never believed that Barr was a true believer, but based on what you just said, now I'm having second thoughts. Yeah. Barr might be a true believer. We've all been asking, why would he become Trump's toady? It may be because he believes that as long as the Republicans are in power, they'll continue to put right-wing judges into place who will overturn Roe v. Wade and overturn gay marriage and overturn all that liberal, godless stuff and take us back to a conservative paradise that Barry Goldwater would want to live in. Yeah, and that brings me to my point. Look, the problem is with the uh, Republican Party. And if you use what Snowden said as an, as an analog, he's, Snowden was talking about turnkey tyranny, okay? If you use that, you can connect every topic you've said so far. Look, you are a great student of the news, and you have an incredibly analytical mind. But you are kept away from certain things through the government system of classification. All right? Donald Trump, as commander-in-chief, is outside the law, apparently, and he can classify and declassify anything he wants. And so, therefore, there are per pieces of the puzzle that you or I don't have access to, okay? So we'll never connect all the dots completely. But let me just point out this one thing, this thing with Mitch McConnell that everyone keeps bringing up. Mitch McConnell supposedly told Barack Obama that if Barack Obama interferes by telling about Russia's help to Trump, that he would tear up the republic. Nobody ever says how or why. How would Mitch McConnell do that? And I'll tell you how. 
Mitch McConnell would destroy the Republic because what he would do is let the cat out of the bag. In the, the cat that's in the bag, it, there is a large segment of American population called the Republican Party that is okay with fascism. They are totally okay with dictatorship. Yep. Now, how does this relate to Vladimir Putin and climate change? Vladimir Putin is a mafioso. He is a political opportunist. He's a kleptocrat. But what if that kleptocrat, with the world's second largest nuclear arsenal, is forced to prove to Russians that he is indeed a patriot? That is what we must be scared of. Right. The Republican Party and Vladimir Putin being forced into being a patriot for the Russian people. So do you think and that his, uh, his defending their ally Iran would do that? Yeah, well, Against American aggression? Right, right. Well, everyone says, Dave, all right, why are you so down on America? I am not down on America. I did this for 25 years. I am a realist. India is, um, India only does bilateral military cooperation. They don't join multilaterals. If India was forced into a multilateral agreement with the United States, no, it's game over. We would win. But what we must ask ourselves is what is winning? What is winning in this environment? We don't know. We, uh, all right. Well, so we far, Dave, it looks like authoritarianism is winning. I mean, Modi in India is, a, is an authoritarian leader. Uh, Duterte in the Philippines, Erdogan. I mean, you know the list. Bolsonaro. Yes. And, and winning is also, I mean, uh, is winning um, winning's going to strip every natural resource out of this country. Yeah. I, mean, I think we have to acknowledge that we have joined, that the United States has joined, hopefully temporarily, but the United States has joined the other authoritarian countries in the world that started out as republics and basically became autocracies, that we're all collectively going through this transition period that Rome went through between roughly A.D. 30 and A.D. 14, after Caesar was assassinated and before Augustus became emperor and the republic was officially declared dead. I think we're just like that close to it. I mean, just a, a hair's breadth away, and it scares the crap out of me. Yeah, it's Thucydides' trap. Yeah, the bottom line is, is we don't feel bad if, if Trump spins this stuff as some sort of victory, like in Venezuela or whatever, because we don't know what winning really is. It's turnkey tyranny. Yeah. Right? We don't know what winning is. As, yeah, winning is putting our country back together, frankly, and we could certainly use some of that $600 billion a year that we're, we're shoveling out to defense contractors. Dave, thank you. Kevin in Chicago. Hey, Kevin, what's up? I'm wondering why Democratic voters or like indivisible are not organizing or making it part of their strategy to in the primary to instead of voting for a Democratic candidate, vote for Bill Weld. And then um, Bill Weld would get on the ballot over Trump and that would get him off the ballot. I'm kind of wondering why maybe that topic hasn't been because it's not up. viable. Bill Weld okay. is a crackpot. I mean, you know, I interviewed Bill Weld a couple of years ago when he was running as a, as a, as a libertarian for president. And he's not that bright. And he, and, and, he, and he actually believes the libertarian stuff and, and not that bright and believing the libertarian stuff are but like, you know, they go together like, a, you know, a glove on a hand. And the majority of Republicans would never support him. He had the good luck of being the governor of Massachusetts once, but that doesn't mean he's not a crackpot. And, and Republicans know it. And, okay, and by the no, way, I, he campaigned, he ran for president on a platform of ending Social Security, ending Medicare, ending public schools. I mean, this is the libertarian platform. 
And I don't think that the Republican Party will embrace that, even though they 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 technically embrace all those conditions, all those all those particulars, and they are working toward them incrementally, but they will never say it out loud. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> So thank you. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Time, Th sir. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Good to hear from you. Janet in Mount Vernon, Washington. Hey, Janet, what's up? Well, Tom, your question of the hour, which was, you know, do you run a centrist or a populist against Donald Trump? Right. And I believe that it has to be a true populist, not a pretend populist. That is the only way. Also, to take a trip down memory lane with you, I had never heard of Robert Mercer until uh, you mentioned you have a really good uh, congressman, Pete DeFazio, I think. Yep. And about, oh gosh, I think it was almost 10 years ago, this crazy guy named Art was running against him. Yep, I mean, Art the Robinson. Guy was, and he's still around, and he's still nuts. But you were the one that said he had gotten a tremendous amount of money from Robert Mercer. Right. And so if you look at what do people like that want, true oligarchs, they just want crazy people that they can control. And I think that that's why, you know, we're not running against Donald Trump. We're running against the oligarchs. And that's what, what people have to keep in mind. He's just a symptom. He is not the problem. And I think people like Bernie scare the heck out of him. I... Uh, yes, I am a Bernie supporter. I would love it if Elizabeth Warren would to be the one or Bernie. But whoever it is, you know, we can't have, it can't be business as usual. Yeah. And I, I know that the way the Democrats want to run it, with, which is, you know, bringing in the money, uh-uh, that's not going to work. Yeah. And I, and it, Except and how also, do you fight? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, uh, Mercer, and by the way, thanks for, for uh, you know, bringing that up. Just real quickly to recap, so our listeners who don't know what you and I are talking about know how how insane this is. Peter DeFazio represents the southern part of uh, the, the state of Oregon. He's, he's a member of Congress. He's a friend of mine, actually. We, we were neighbors for a while in Washington, D.C. And, and he, uh, he lives on a boat in Washington, D.C. as well. And Art Robinson was an old high school science teacher who noticed somehow or believed that regular exposure to radiation reduces your vulnerability to radiation damage, which, by the way, is BS science. It's not actually true. But he inferred from that that the solution to our nuclear waste problem was to use nuclear waste and it was to take small amounts of nuclear waste and add it to fiberglass insulation because the nuclear waste itself produces heat, right, as it slowly decays and, and produces radiation, and use this as an insulating material in homes all over America, and it solves our nuclear waste problem. This is the guy that Robert Mercer funded to run against Peter DeFazio. I mean, that's how crazy it is, Janet. Exactly. And, and so th there's something, I, I don't know what the end game with the oligarchs, what do they want? I think they want the destruction of a government that can restrain them so they become the absolute rulers of the country. Yeah, you are probably correct. I mean, this is, this is exactly how it played out in ancient Rome. It's like, it, it, we're not the first country to see oligarchs rise up and take over the country. Hell, for that matter, that's what happened with Hitler. He was supported by the oligarchs. Janet, thank you for the call. I tell you, the best thing for me that I've, I'm just, this is just me, one of the very best things that I've found to uh, help me sleep all night and, you know, without waking up from pain in my back and stuff like that, is CBD oil. And I've used a variety of different types of CBD oil over the years, and what I've found is that New Leaf Naturals is just the absolute best. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people who want health benefits from cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. This is not pot. 
This is, this is CBD. CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I trust the most, New Leaf Naturals. It's NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic. It's highly concentrated. It has no additional additives. It's grown in the United States. And the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Yes, there's CBD in hemp. Uh, go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com and save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOMS, T-H-O-M, N-U-LeafNaturals.com and use your code TOM for premium cannabinoid wellness. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading from the Mueller report. This is from page nine. Separately, Russian intelligence officers who carried out the hacking into Democratic Party computers and the personal email accounts of individuals affiliated with the Clinton campaign conspired to violate, among other federal laws, the federal computer intrusion statute, and they have been so charged. And then there's a bunch of redacted stuff. Second, while the investigation identified numerous links between individuals with ties to the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign, the evidence was not sufficient to support criminal charges. Among other things, the evidence was not sufficient to charge any campaign official as an unregistered agent of the Russian government or other Russian principal. And our evidence about the June 9, 2016 meeting and WikiLeaks releases of hacked materials was not sufficient to charge a criminal campaign finance violation. Further, the evidence was not sufficient to charge that any member of the Trump campaign conspired with representatives of the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 election. Third, the investigation established that several individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign lied to this office and to Congress about their interactions with Russian-affiliated individuals and related matters. Those lies materially impaired the investigation of Russian election interference. The office charged some of those lies as violations of the federal false statement statute. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn pleaded guilty to lying about his interactions with Russian Ambassador Kislyak during the transition period. George Papadopoulos, a foreign policy advisor during the campaign period, pleaded guilty to lying to investigators about inter alia, the nature and timing of his interactions with Joseph Mifsud, the professor who told Papadopoulos that the Russians had dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. Former Trump Organization attorney Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to making false statements to Congress about the Trump Moscow project. A bunch of redacted stuff. And then in February 2019, the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia found that Manafort lied to this office and the grand jury concerning his interactions and communications with Konstantin Kalimnik about Trump campaign, polling data, and a peace plan for Ukraine. The office investigated several other events that have been publicly reported to involve potential Russia-related contacts. For example, the investigation established that interactions between Russian Ambassador Kislyak and Trump campaign officials, both at the candidate's April 6, 2016 foreign policy speech in Washington, D.C., and during the week of the Republican National Convention, were brief, public, and non-substantive. And the investigation did not establish that one campaign official's efforts to dilute a portion of the Republican Party platform on providing assistance to Ukraine were undertaken at the behest of candidate Trump or Russia. The investigation also did not establish that a meeting between Kislyak and Sessions in September 2016 at Sessions' Senate office, including anything more than a passing mention of the presidential campaign. The investigation did not always yield admissible information or testimony or a complete picture of the activities undertaken by subjects of the investigation.
Some individuals invoke their Fifth Amendment right against compelled self-incrimination and were not, in the office's judgment, appropriate candidates for grants of immunity. The office limited its pursuit of other witnesses and information, such as information known to attorneys or individuals claiming to be members of the media, in light of internal Department of Justice policies. Some of the information obtained via court processes, moreover, was presumptively covered by legal privilege and was screened from investigators by a filter or taint team. Even when individuals testified or agreed to be interviewed, they sometimes provided information that was false or incomplete, leading to some of the false statements charges described above. And the office faced practical limits on its abilities to access relevant evidence as well. Numerous witnesses and subjects lived abroad, and documents were held outside the United States. Further, the office learned that some of the individuals we interviewed or whose conduct we investigated, including some associated with the Trump campaign, deleted relevant communications or communicated during the relevant period using applications that feature in encryption or that do not provide for long-term retention of data or communication records. In such cases, the office was not able to corroborate witness statements through comparison to contemporaneous communications or fully question witnesses about statements that appeared inconsistent with other known facts. Accordingly, while this report embodies factual and legal determinations that the office believes to be accurate and complete to the greatest extent possible, given these identified gaps, the office cannot rule out the possibility that the unavailable information would shed additional light on or cast in a new light the events described in the report. Number one, the special counsel's investigation. On May 17, 2017, Deputy Attorney General Rod J. Rosenstein, then serving as Acting Attorney General for the Russia investigation following the recusal of former Attorney General Jeff Sessions on March 2, 2016, appointed the special counsel, quote, to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and related matters, end quote. Office of the Deputy Attorney General's Order Number 39152017. The acting attorney general ordered the appointment of the special counsel in order to discharge the acting attorney general's responsibility to provide supervision and management of the Department of Justice and to ensure a full and thorough investigation of the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. The special counsel, the order stated, is authorized to conduct the investigation confirmed by then FBI Director James B. Comey in testimony before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on March 20, 2017. It's the Mueller Report. Congressman Ro Khanna is going to be here with us, or is here with us, rather, taking your calls. He represents the 17th District of California. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website is Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep Ro, R-O, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be back on. Great having you with us. You are an attorney. In fact, you're a graduate of Yale Law School, which seems to be in vogue these days, and a very knowledgeable guy. I'm curious your take on William Barr as our attorney general and the whole, you know, all the legal stuff around what's going on with defiance of Congress and all these things. I mean, what, what do you think is happening here? Well, as I was telling someone the other day, if Barr was a law student, he would be kicked out for that type of fraud. And if he was practicing law, there would be a disbarment action for his misrepresentation. I mean, it's really appalling. He blatantly misrepresented Mueller's report to Congress and to the American people. And his excuse just doesn't add up. I mean, he went and told Congress, well, Mueller's real concern wasn't with my summary. Mueller's real concern was with the press's reporting. 
And then 15 minutes later, Barr is saying, no, actually, Mueller was upset at me and my reporting and sent me the snitty letter. And if he really had a concern, he should have just called me up. So he's contradicting himself at the Senate testimony itself. My view is he's committed perjury multiple times. He's really debased the office of the attorney general, and he should resign. Now, he has to cooperate with Congress. It's unprecedented that a cabinet secretary wouldn't testify before the committee of jurisdiction. And ultimately, the courts can force him to testify, and I expect they will. Mm. Good. Do you think he should be impeached? I do, if he doesn't go through with the process. I mean, I think anyone should resign with any honor, but otherwise the law enforcement should look at issues of perjury and other obstacles that he has thrown in the way of the investigation, and the Judiciary Committee should begin an investigation on that. Yeah, strong stuff. Okay, Congressman, the board is full. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna, who I think represents you. Congressman, Tom, wait a minute. First, I wanted to say thank you so much for reading the Mueller report. I got more information than the Attorney General. You're welcome. We're we're reading that every day. (laughs) I appreciate that. I hope you read the whole thing out loud, by the way. Oh, that's my plan, and it's all going up on YouTube, and then we're going to jam it all together to have one giant read. It'll take a few months. Congressman, I'm sorry. I missed you at your town hall, but unfortunately... A terrible incident occurred just like down in San Diego here in our home district of Sunnyvale with this gentleman who apparently returned from Iraq and took out eight people in an intersection, assuming that they were of, I guess, Muslim descent. And it turns out that he suffers from PTSD. And yesterday I watched Senator Sanders passionately try to lead Congress in the right direction about getting us out of these endless wars. But I think that this gentleman, uh, Mr. Peoples, is a victim of well, being at war for almost 20 years. And if we don't do something about that right now, regardless of what Trump's doing, but if we don't do something to prevent Venezuela from being the next Vietnam and whatever, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. I just wonder if we can reinstill the passion that you brought to bring this to the floor again, because it can't let this go. 140,000 children are expected to die in Yemen. And, you know, we're talking about legal wranglings. And I just, my passion here is with you. We need to continue this fight. What do you say? Well, Joe, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your bringing up Venezuela and Yemen. In fact, I had just tweeted out to Senator Lindsey Graham, who said that the United States needs to send aircrafts over to Venezuela, that I'd welcome a debate with him on any network about the downfall of interventionism as opposed to having a foreign policy of restraint and human rights. I had written an op-ed a few months ago now in the Washington Post warning that our intervention was going to lead, unfortunately, to the very situation that we have now. I mean, there was such naivete when Pence called up Guaido and tried to anoint him uh, the leader of Venezuela. It reminds you of Napoleon's famous saying, it's worse than a crime, it's a blunder. Here there was this sense of the administration that suddenly the military was all going to leave Madero and go to Guaido, and there would be this magical, peaceful transition of power. And anyone who has paid any attention to Venezuela knows that that was an absurd expectation. I mean, you have the irony of Bolton going out a few days ago and doing a press conference saying all these people are going to desert, 
and then two, three days later, you see they're not deserting. And what many of us have been warning about is we're just going to be inciting a civil war. There are 1.6 million people in Venezuela who have private arms. Madero has inherited a large part of Hugo Chavez's base, and whatever you think of his politics, he's not insignificant in his political support. And the only way forward is a negotiated settlement that the Pope or Mexico or Uruguay have called for. For us to be meddling and getting entrenched in yet another civil war is not just morally suspect, it's actually not in our self-interest. And we need to continue to speak out about that. Unfortunately, we were unable to overturn the president's veto on the Yemen war powers resolution. The Saudis continue their brutal blockade of Yemen. And every day, children are dying because food and medicine isn't getting into them. Congressman, why do you think it is that we've got between 50 and 60 countries? Germany has pulled out of this coalition, but a lot of them are major Democratic allies, small d Democratic allies who are saying, yeah, Juan Guaido, the guy who's the Speaker of the House, who never even ran for president of Venezuela, is the president of Venezuela. What's going on? Well, they haven't the learned oil? their lesson. They haven't learned their lesson that interventionism often makes things worse. And look, I often get criticized from the far left. I'm not a fan of Madero. I think Madero has done things that are wrong. I think he's mismanaged the economy, and I think he has not upheld human rights. But just because you think that Madero is wrong doesn't mean that you go in and anoint some other leader and encourage a civil war. What you do is what the Pope in Mexico and Uruguay were working towards, a political settlement that ultimately would have led to new elections. Adam in Salem, Mass. Hey, Adam, what's up? You're on with Congressman Khan. Hey, Congressman, how you doing? It looks like Trump blackmailed the Qataris into investing in Jared Kushner's building. I wanted to ask you, is the Congress investigating this? And if the president did use the full weight of the U.S. government to basically enrich one of his relatives by a billion dollars, wouldn't this be his greatest crime of all? Adam, I think that the allegations you point to about the monetization of the presidency, this idea that people will buy things from the family members or do business with the family members because they want to curry favor with the president are the most actually serious allegations against this president. In third world countries or in other countries or the way things used to be in places like India and China, rarely do people directly bribe someone. What they do is they say, oh, you know, we paid for their kids' education or we did business with their business. And it's a deep concern that those type of tactics may be taking place today in the United States of America. So the Oversight Committee on which I sit are looking into emoluments issues, uh, the violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution, which basically says that you can't sell off assets based on your government position for private gain. You can't monetize the, the presidency. Has this issue of Qatar being the major investor in this fund that gave Jared Kushner a billion dollars right after Qatar was blockaded by the Saudis, and then they right. ended that blockade within a week of the time that he gave the money to Kushner. That seems pretty conclusive to me. Is anybody in Congress specifically looking at that as a potential crime? 
You know, I mean, there's been discussion of it, but none of the committees have. But after this uh, call, I'm actually going to see if, with Elijah Cummings, if the Oversight Committee can look into this as well. I mean, there's been so much focus on the Russian investments and some of the other countries, but we absolutely need to look into this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just the timing of it. I'll send you a note with the name. There's a uh, journalist who's just doing some shocking reporting on this, and we had her on this program a week or so. I'll get that information to you. Yeah, please do, and I'll send it to Elijah Cummings. Great. We'll do it. What's the first thing you do when you get into a new car? You adjust the seat, right? Most cars only allow you to move the seat front or back, but if it's a luxury car, you can adjust your lower back or lumbar support. Well, most of us spend more time in our office chairs than we do in our cars. And how many adjustments can you make to your office chair? If it's any fewer than 10 customized ergonomic adjustments, then you do not have an X chair. I can adjust my X chair to fit my body perfectly, and thanks to the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL, my back gets the perfect level of support. DVL is the key key to ideal posture, comfort, and productivity, and only the X-Chair has it. My X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtom.com, use the code XWheels, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels to go with your chair. That's xchairtom.com. Louise, in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi. Thank you very much, Congressman. I was very excited that several callers today were bringing up concerns about perpetual war. And I'm a member of an advocacy team of the Friends Committee on National Legislation and is working this year to support Representative Barbara Lee's bill to repeal the authorization for the use of military force. Uh, that got us into war against Afghanistan and a whole host of other countries. Our Seattle team was very excited when the Progressive Caucus voted to support Representative Lee's bill. And you and my very own representative, Jayapal, are co-chairs of that Progressive Caucus. I feel that most people are really unaware of how the U.S. gets into war, and yet it's Congress's role to declare war. And I'm wondering if you and Tom might host a session on the AUMF and have uh, Representative Barbara Lee come and speak. Well, Louise, I uh, think that's an excellent idea. Barbara Lee is an icon in the United States Congress. I've often uh, said that if the book Profiles in Courage were to be updated, there would be a chapter on Barbara Lee. She was the only one uh, post-9-11 who understood that the AUMF that passed was way too broad. It had no geographic restriction. It had no time restriction. Uh, we're still using the AUMF passed in 2001 to be at war in Afghanistan or Syria. And she was the lone voice of caution in voting against that bill. I mean, she believed that we needed to have strikes against al-Qaeda, but that it was too open-ended as the AUMF. And she now has made tremendous progress in working towards its repeal. I think she will succeed in the House, for sure, uh, this uh, Congress. And then it goes, of course, to the Senate. But I certainly would be happy to do anything with her in terms of recommending she come on this show or be on a panel. She's a real icon. 
Amen. Colleen in Manorville, New York. Colleen, you're on the air with Congressman Khan. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you for taking my call. I want to say first, Tom, that you are such a hardworking person, and you putting the Mueller report together for everybody is, I know, a tremendous amount of work, and it really is eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people that don't have access you, you know, to that information. Now, as far as the bar hearings, I think that he really won, and this is to Congressman Connor. I think he's got everybody dancing around, and I feel badly because he accomplished what he wanted, which was to stall. You know, he pretended he didn't understand a question, didn't understand the meaning of a word, and he just kind of danced around, and everybody's like being played like puppets off strings. But my question to Congressman Connor, is it possible, instead of worrying about, I mean, you have those people in Congress that are going to deal with this obstruction of justice issue, but you also have this money trail that these people all around the world who are buying into, not just the United States, but other countries, London and England, and they're, they're secreting money and is the money world that they're all part of a way to get to this, as some callers have brought up about the IRS and money laundering and hiding assets and that sort of thing. And that's my question. Well, Eileen, first of all, I agree with you about Bill Barr. He was dancing around, and he's the definition of what our founders would have considered a sophist, which is someone who uses his education and rhetorical skills not in the pursuit of truth, but to be clever rhetorically and to mislead and to be deceptive for personal gain. We have to figure out a way to hold him accountable. I think the American people see right through him. I think we need more people doing what Tom Hartman is doing with the Mueller report. I mean, a lot of people haven't read it, but we have to bring it to life for the American public. And this is why I think the president is so concerned about having people like Don McGahn or Bob Mueller testify on television, because he knows that they will dramatize it, uh, just like Tom has done for so many of his uh, listeners. In terms of the financial fraud and financial crimes, I agree with you. That's where the president is actually most vulnerable, and the committees are looking into that. It probably deserves more media attention than it's even getting, but we're going to continue to look at the financial conflicts of interest and potential financial crimes on the Oversight Committee. Ken in Goose Creek, South Carolina. You're on the air with Congressman Khan. Congressman Khan, would you please answer me just yes or no if you would condemn Representative Ilhan Omar's comments yesterday that America is responsible for the civil unrest in Venezuela right now? Well, I think it's a more complicated issue. I think that I would blame Madero for the way he has governed, and I would blame Guaido and the opposition for not agreeing to a settlement. But what I would say is that America's foreign policy has made the situation worse, not better, that what we ought to have done is defer to the Pope or Mexico or Uruguay for a negotiated settlement. Josh in Boulder, Colorado, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hello, Congressman. Thanks for all you do. Climate change is the greatest security threat facing our nation and people. I'm inspired by Greta Thunberg, Extinction Rebellion, and the student activists striking wrong in the nation. It won't just take a change in how we get our energy and transportation, but study after study from the U.N. and published in the Lancet Journal showing we need to greatly reduce our consumption of animals. 
California passed plant-based meals in hospitals last year. What are you doing to address factory farms and all the other issues related to our food policy with respect to climate change? Well, you're right to bring up the link between climate change and some of the abuses at CAFOs and our factory farms. I am working with Food and Water Watch and legislation that would first take on the concentration of CAFOs where they are not being held accountable for a manure uh, that they are uh, having leave the farms or the dirty water that they are causing, so holding them accountable for uh, environmental regulations. And second, to deal with the concentration in the ag industry, which is hurting uh, factory farmers and is also leading to further uh, degradation of the environment. Chuck, in Attleboro Falls, Massachusetts, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yeah, I just got a question about everything that's going on with the new investigations. Is he at all concerned that his freedom might be at risk when all these Democrats get thrown in prison because they try to overthrow the government? And they had a coup going on. It was a conspiracy to get Trump out of office. Are you at all concerned for your own freedom? Hmm. Chuck, I've never thought of it that way. I don't think we are near that place. And the reason I say that is I think it's important not to be alarmist in this country. We already have a politics that's way too polarized. But I uh, do fear for the safety, particularly of some of the women of color in Congress, some of the freshmen in Congress, uh, I, who have received genuinely death threats, who have been targeted because of the kind of rhetoric, and I fear for them. I genuinely am concerned about their security. Congressman, I'm curious your thoughts on what we should be paying attention to as we go into the next week or two. What should we be looking for? Where should we be focusing our activism and our phone calls to Congress? Well, Tom, I know you spend a lot of time on Venezuela. It's so important for people to have their voice heard on this issue. There are, uh, unfortunately, certain Democrats who uh, also want us to get involved in Venezuela. Here's the irony. You know what Guaido has called his uh, mission. He's called it Operation Freedom, the exact same thing that Bush called the invasion in Iraq. And we need to make sure this time that Democrats stand united in opposition to any further military escalation in Venezuela. Your listeners' perspective and calls will make a difference because this is on the minds of members of Congress. Uh, second, uh, you know, I learn something every time I'm on Cong- the show. and I, I'm sorry, yeah. we're out of time. Good. <laughs> Congressman, no thanks, thanks so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's up in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com. And loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News from New York, Luke Vargas. Luke, there's a Saudi Arabian who apparently Mohammed bin Salman or his buddies have targeted for assassination the way that they killed and dismembered Khashoggi. Do I have that right? Let's back up. Iyad al-Baghdadi is a Palestinian-born writer and social media commentator who's been very active on platforms like Twitter. He came to prominence during the Arab Spring, really, and as The Guardian said, became pretty famous for writing these sarcastic takedowns of autocratic leaders. 
which is precisely the kind of humor folks like Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, don't find very funny. He was arrested and expelled from the United Arab Emirates in 2015, at which point Norway granted him asylum. And ever since then, he's become very prominent of Mohammed bin Salman as he has risen to this role of crown prince and sort of de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. Last year, he warned on Twitter that unless Mohammed bin Salman got meaningful repercussions for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, that he would become a more dangerous leader. And the fact that now, as The Guardian reports, several weeks ago, April 25th, the CIA tips off the government of Norway that they sense that this guy's life is at risk, possibly, from a threat emanating from Saudi Arabia. It may confirm that suspicion that this writer had. This is a very interesting use of a policy known as the Intelligence Community Directive 191, which The Guardian summarizes by saying it's basically an internal policy of the CIA and other intelligence agencies that they have a legal duty to inform the possible victims if the agency picks up credible evidence that they are the targets of an impending threat. And that appears to be what happened here. They tipped off Norway. This guy was at risk. Norwegian sort of special forces police go in. They rescue the guy. They put him in a safe location. And they actually sent a team behind that extraction squad to monitor if they thought the Saudi assets in the region had been sort of monitoring this guy and were aware of the fact that he'd been whisked to safety and might have been tailing him. The Guardian stresses here, it's not, this does not necessarily mean there was an active plan afoot to kidnap, murder, or do dismember this guy or whatever. Um, but the fact that the U.S., at this of all times, when we have gone to such great lengths, I think, to provide political cover for Saudi Arabia, would operate on this internal sort of best practice, I think it's a great one, this, this intelligence directive, but it's the kind of thing you would have maybe imagined the U.S. under the Trump administration would have made sure to, to not implement. They've done it here, and it, and it shows perhaps that the, the Saudi, you know, effort to target dissidents is is not over. Which is what do you I think, think the chances are, given that uh, <laughs> yeah. that Kushner and Trump have been squeezing the Saudis and their buddies for literally a billion dollars or more in cash? What do you think the odds are that the CIA going forward, now that Trump knows what they're up to, will not be notifying people who are going to be the victims of MBS? Well, that's the scary consequence of reporting on this, right? I mean, it's uh, I don't think this is the kind of story that ought to be killed just because it might, you know, appear on Fox News and anger President Trump and he gives a directive to the CIA. But I, it gives me comfort here that um, it, it appears the chain of the command of the intelligence agencies, there is no provision of, you know, this directive that says, you know, you have to do this unless the president tells you you can't. Meanwhile, the Arctic has melted to the point as a consequence of global warming that it's now possible or soon will be possible to run ships right through the middle of it. And uh, everybody's trying to negotiate the terms of all that. And uh, the Trump administration blows this up because they're not willing to acknowledge the, the, the phrase global warming in the document. Do I have that right? Yes. For the first time since the Arctic Council, which was built with this very good notion of cooperation to preserve this pristine wilderness in 1996, this is now the first time that a joint statement of one of their summits has failed to articulate any of their shared principles, namely climate change, which after U.S. pressure issued by Mike Pompeo, who was there, 
uh, had been entirely stripped out of their joint statement. So this is yeah. uh, American leadership on climate. Well, it's Mike Pompeo. I mean, his career was massively assisted by petrobillionaires like the Koch brothers. Of course, you know, they're going to continue to support that. That's insane. But, you know, Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.